0: Okay, three, two, one, oh my goodness, good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day, my name is Zach Shomler. this is Strong Opinion Sports, thank you so very much for tuning in, today's Friday, October 25th, and uh, welcome into the new place, I, uh, the new recording studio, I'm so excited, uh, it's, uh, man, I will be very, very honest, I'm dead. I'm dead today. After I record this, I'm going to go crash and sleep for hours. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm not just on my last little bit of energy. By the way, I want to I say something. If someone commented this. I wanted to really point it out. I point at camera one. Then I point at the audio selection. I point at like the, to make sure the audio is recording. Then I point at the camera. Check one, check two, check three. That's the, those are the three things I point at. Um, this weekend, after I record this show this weekend, I'm going to watch a lot of football. I'm going to take a bunch of notes. I'm really excited for next week. I, I just need to get to the weekend and rest and recuperate and kind of reset. Next week, I ask you, please raise your expectations for the show. Uh, I, have, I have a really, I think a good week planned. I'm going to record a show on Monday, which I haven't done in forever. I have the technology to get an episode out quick enough now to do it, which is exciting. The internet is fast enough here. I'm going to record an episode on Monday, talk about the weekend, then on uh, Tuesday or Wednesday, I'll talk about you know, Monday night's game and do some film analysis, and then I'll do another episode later that week. I'm so excited. Today's episode, we're talking about Mohamed Sanu. He was traded to the New England Patriots. We're going to talk about Emmanuel Sanders. He was also traded to the... He was traded as well. He was actually traded to the San Francisco 49ers. I'm going to do a film analysis on both of those players. We'll talk about Dak Prescott. I have a really uh, impassioned topic about Dak Prescott. And we'll do Ask Zach at the very end. I apologize in advance. Ask Zach is really sparse and really short today. I, I, I'm just, I'm doing the best I can. I just moved. I slept like two hours last night. I was at Winco Foods buying groceries at like one in the morning. I'm not even kidding. I became, I was like looking around. And I was like, man, everybody here is weird. And I was like, oh man, that means I'm weird too. <laughs> I was like wearing basketball shorts and green shoes and a Dickie's like sweatshirt that you would wear for like welding. I was like, man, I look like a homeless man. I look like a mess. So. Uh, not that that anything wrong with that. If you want to look like a homeless man, mate, I, obviously I'm cool with that. So my point is, I just ask that you're kind to me today, and let's raise expectations next week. I, I'm gonna have I have a great week planned. I'm really excited for that, uh, and I think this room is gonna be awesome. This, you know, being in here is a huge investment uh, in time. You know, I'm really sad that I kind of struggled this week, but I think for the future of the show, moving the stuff in here and getting it all set up, and eventually I'll have a better background. It won't just be a white wall. We're on the right track and things are getting better every t- every day. I want to start with last night. On Thursday Night Football, the Minnesota Vikings beat the Washington Redskins nineteen to nine. The Vikings are now six and two. The Redskins are one and seven. There's a lot. There's a couple things I want to talk about. Number one is the Vikings running back Dalvin Cook. It's phenomenal. He had twenty three carries, uh, ninety eight yards, and a touchdown. I'm so glad the spotlight was on him. I keep meaning to talk about him. I know, you know, if if you're not aware, I've been critical of him in the past because he's often injured and nothing against him. I just said, look, the guy's often hurt. How good really is Dalvin Cook? Well, this year he's been proving himself. He's really, really good. He's having a phenomenal year. He's got 823 yards passing, 823 yards rushing. Excuse me, I said passing, I meant rushing. He's a running back. He leads the NFL in rushing. I know that's a little bit skewed because right now he, he's a game ahead of everybody because he played on Thursday. Everyone else plays on Sunday and Monday. But he's still over 100 yards ahead of the next guy. He has nine touchdowns rushing. He's doing phenomenal. He's really having a great year. And the point is not whether he's the leading rusher or not in the NFL. The point is Dalvin Cook is awesome. He's doing such a good job. And what stands out to me is the way he runs, his physicality. He's not afraid of contact. He puts his shoulder down. He runs, you know, he, he just really takes contact head on. And his effort is really, really impressive to me. I love watching Dalvin Cook and the way he runs. He's not the kind of guy to run out of bounds. He's the kind of guy to lower his shoulder and take you on. And uh, it's just awesome. And it really reminds me of the early years of Adrian Peterson where I know, it's, <laughs> I know it's, it's awkward that they both play in Minnesota or that they both played in Minnesota at the time. I remember when Adrian Peterson was younger. People would say, this kid won't go down. He would just lower his shoulder and take guys on and just fight and turn. His, you know, his legs would run. He'd just turn and go for more and more yards. And uh, that's what Dalvin Cook kind of reminds me of. The guy fights really hard. I really respect it. And he's made himself. It's clear. He's like, hey, right now, I'm one of the best running backs in the NFL. You better respect me. Hey, I do. Dalvin Cook, I, I was critical. I look silly today, not you. You look phenomenal. How about Kirk Cousins? The Vikings quarterback last night was phenomenal. He was 23 for 26 passing. Uh, that's, that's a fantastic, fantastic completion percentage. I don't want to do the math on that. It's just phen- You know what's good. He had three incompletions all night. <laughs> that's awesome. He had 285 yards passing, 285. No touchdowns, no interceptions. Kirk is doing his job really well right now. However, I- I'm still cautious. I'm still skeptical of Kirk. The Vikings have won four games in a row. They beat, you know, let's be honest, they beat the Giants, the Lions, the Eagles, and the Redskins. The Giants and the Redskins are doormats. Uh, I think Eagles are not far behind them. The Lions, okay, they're a team in transition who's trying to, they're one of the middle of the pack. So right now, my point is I'm not that impressed with the Vikings. My number one concern and my big issue with Kirk Cousins has not been that he's a bad quarterback. He's not a bad quarterback, he's very fine. My problem with Kirk is that he shrinks in big moments. I'm waiting for a big moment this year, like we had a couple weeks ago when, you know, remember when everyone was criticizing Kirk Cousins at the beginning of the year? When he struggled and he lost games, he lost to the Bears backup quarterback. That Kirk Cousins still exists. He's still around. He just had four weeks playing against average to bad teams. You know, everyone's really high on Kirk Cousins. I'm just skeptical. However, I will acknowledge: hey, he's playing great right now. He has 13 touchdowns. Only three interceptions. That's great as a passer. He does have four fumbles as well. That's not really that great. But in eight games, seven turnovers, and you know a six and two record. Hey, good for Kirk. He also, by the way, currently leads the NFL in passer rating. I don't pay much attention to statistics. I actually had no idea what passer rating meant. I had to look it up. Uh, I'm just I'm not into stats. Apparently, passer rating is a formula that combines pass attempts, completions, yards, touchdowns, and interceptions. They kind of add them all together and do some kind of math I don't understand. And then they come up with a number, and this number declares whether you're good or not. Right now, based on the numbers, Kirk Cousins is leading the NFL. Hey, I don't know anything about the stats. I'm not a big stats guy. However, even I can acknowledge that's impressive. If Kirk Cousins has that number is better than everybody else in the NFL, and they those are the things they take into consideration, hey, That must be pretty good. Kirk is playing very well right now. I just want to see him in a big moment. There's a couple of tough games coming up later in the year for the Vikings to play at Dallas. They play in Seattle against the Seahawks. They play the Packers. They play the Bears the last two weeks of the NFL season. How will he play in those moments? That's what I want to find out. But right now, the Vikings are in great shape. And I think, you know, it's pretty clear to me, hey, Kirk is doing well. The running game's phenomenal. The Vikings' defense looks really good. The Vikings are, they're 6-2. and two. They're a playoff team. You know, I look pretty silly. I think that I had the Vikings going 7-9. and nine. It, it, I, I can't remember what I said about them. I know it was not great. I was dead wrong. The Vikings look far better than I expected. And uh, hey, good on them. They're awesome. You know who's not doing well? The Washington Redskins. They're in trouble. Last night, they lost their quarterback. Case Keenum, he got a concussion. Uh, he's going to miss some time. And the guy that replaced him was Dwayne Haskins, the first-round draft pick from earlier this year. And uh, he was 3-for-5 at 33 yards passing, had an interception. And I just, I just feel bad for him. I do. I don't want to be too hard on him. You know, he was put in before he was ready, and now the jar is opened. You can't reseal it. Dwayne Haskins is playing in the NFL and uh, it, I think it'd be more, it'd be worse, actually, if you just said, we're going to bench Dwayne Haskins for the rest of the year. I think that would hurt his development even more. So, um, look, I personally think the Redskins are going to play Dwayne Haskins the rest of the season. It makes sense to me. That's probably what I would do. Not, not, that's not the way I would have done things from the beginning. But now that if I was stuck into this point and said, hey, if you're the Redskins, what do you do from this point on? It's probably just play Haskins. I would have personally kept him on the bench for a lot longer. I don't think he was ever really ready to play at all. And the team around him is terrible. But, hey, they're going to put him in. And I just ask that Redskins fans, please, 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 please be very gracious and kind to this guy. Um, Allow him to learn. Allow him to grow. Allow him to make mistakes. Go easy on him. I I just uh, have patience. Be kind to Dwayne Haskins. He's going to go through a lot of rough points where he's going to throw bad interceptions, have bad games, and look really stupid for a while. And Redskins fans, if they have any hope of him becoming a franchise quarterback, they need to be patient. They need to let the guy develop on his own terms. Uh, I think it's unfortunate the situation he's found himself in, but hey, uh, he's just got to play through it, and Dwayne Haskins has to do the best he can. And if you're a Redskins fan, hey, this year is going to suck. I'm sorry it already is terrible. You're one in seven, but support your quarterback, allow him to grow, and give him a little bit of patience. So uh, that's, you know, uh, I I see the Vikings as a playoff team. I feel bad for the Redskins. Um, I want to now shift gears to the Cowboys quarterback, Dak Prescott. If you're familiar with him, uh, a lot of people have been very, very angry with me about my opinions regarding Dallas Cowboys starting quarterback, Dak Prescott. Uh, I've been called a flip-flopper. I've been called a hater. Uh, I got really, I think the worst, uh, the meanest thing anyone said to me is they, uh, they accused me of something really offensive. They said, you're starting to sound like people on TV. Uh, I, I really, I, that's the one thing I, I hope I never sound like I, you know, there's one thing I promise on this show that I will always guarantee. You will always hear what's honestly my opinion. I will never sugarcoat things. I'll never lie to you guys. I have no reason to. I, that's the brand I want to build is I'm honest. If I'm wrong, I admit it. When I'm right, I talk about it. Um, you, know, that's, you can always depend on me being as honest as I can be. I do not have a favorite team. I know that blows people's minds. They can't even imagine what it's like to not have a favorite team. I don't have one. I don't have an allegiance. I don't care. I love the game of football. I love good stories. I love following the storylines. That's what I get enjoyment out of. Um, and I try to be fair to everybody I can. I want to be as fair as I can, and I say what I believe. I make a lot of videos, and I think people miss some of the things I say. I really do. You know, they'll watch one video, then not pay attention for another month, and then a month later, my opinion's different, and they're like, how did your opinion change? One month, you said this. The next month, you said this. How? (laughs) Which one is it? It's like, well, you missed the evolution of my opinion. I think if someone watched everything I said, which is impossible. I don't blame anybody. If you, if you miss something, I don't blame you. I make a lot of content. But I'm, I'm sure if people watched everything I said and everything I did, they'd go, oh, it makes sense why Dak Pre- Zach feels this way about Dak Prescott. So currently right now, I do not think that Dak Prescott is an elite quarterback and I would not pay him $34 million a year. I would not. You know, Russell Wilson makes 35 million dollars a year. I would not pay Russell Wilson comparable money to Dak Prescott. I would not pay Dak Prescott 34. If if Russell makes 35, there's no way Dak makes 34. There's just a bigger gap between those two players. Dak Prescott's not elite, and I don't know why that's so offensive to say. Why does it it makes Cowboys fans furious when I say that? He's not. It's my observation. However, I like Dak Prescott. He does things I like watching. He's a good leader. He's great in interviews. He makes some good plays. He's very solid. Obviously, he's won a lot of games in the NFL. Dak Prescott. I've never said Dak Prescott's terrible. I don't hate Dak Prescott. I'm not a hater. I like him. He does good things. He's just not elite. I don't know why that's so controversial. Uh, But the question is, how did we get here to this point? At the beginning of the year, I was very, very optimistic and excited about the Dallas Cowboys. I predicted them to go 10-6 and this year, win their division. I was so overjoyed to watch Kellen Moore, the new offensive coordinator in Dallas, and how he would work with Dak Prescott, the Dallas Cowboys quarterback. I wanted to watch him play, and I was expecting good things. I expected him to progress and get better. And in the first three games, oh man, he was phenomenal. In the first three games of the year, Dak Prescott had nine touchdowns, two interceptions. He was playing great. I made a video called, Why Dak Prescott Looks So Much Better. I praised his footwork, which I said that really helps his accuracy. As Dak Prescott goes through his read progression, having better footwork makes his throws to his third, fourth, sometimes fifth reads more accurate. That's awesome. He looks like he has a plan every time. He made a great throw against the Giants. Good footwork allowed for a great throw against man coverage deep down the left sideline. I was like, that's an impressive great throw against the Giants. I also mentioned that one of his interceptions was not his fault. It bounced off his receiver's hands. I was trying to be as fair as I could to Dak Prescott and excited because I was seeing a player make an evolution and get a little bit better, and I was excited about that. However, 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 when you look at those first three games with context – you realize, oh, those three games were against the Washington Redskins, the New York Giants, the Miami Dolphins. All combined, those three teams have a record of 3-18. and Three wins, 18 losses so far this year. With context, that success is a lot less impressive. And then week four happened, and week four was a big cornerstone in my evaluation of Dak Prescott. Upon reflection, I learned a lot from that moment. The Cowboys played against a really good New Orleans Saints defense. They lost They lost 10-12 to 12 to the Saints. They only scored 10 points on offense. And uh, I defended Dak. I really did. I said, look, the Saints are great on defense. The way the Saints defended the run was incredible. And I described the way that receiver Amari Cooper for the Cowboys struggled against man coverage. So Dak was solid. He had two really good throws. He did a good job avoiding negative plays. And then I pointed out that, well, in, this, in the game, you know, Jason Witten had a key fumble and Randall Cobb had a key drop on third and five. Basically what I said was, this loss is not Dak Prescott's fault. I blamed everybody else. So the Saints are a really good team and the people around Dak Prescott didn't deliver. And then two more weeks went by. And <laughs> two more weeks the Cowboys lost to the Packers and then the Jets subsequently. And Dak played a little bit worse. Against the Packers, the Cowboys didn't even score in the first half. Yes, they had a couple touchdowns. Later in the game, they ended up losing 34 to 24, had some yard, a bunch of yards in garbage time. Dak had two touchdowns, but he also had three interceptions against the Packers. That's not good. And at that point, two weeks in a row, I should have really paid attention. Oh, wow. Two weeks in a row, the Cowboys lost two games to good teams. But I said nothing. I said, okay, whatever. Let's see how the Jets game goes. And the next week against the Jets, the Cowboys lost again to the Jets. And at one point, the score was brutal. They were down by a lot. And that moment is when I realized, oh, I need to stop making excuses for Dak Prescott. And I came out with a video. I said, Dak Prescott's not elite. We can blame his offensive line. We can blame the receivers. We can blame the coaching. We can say, "Well, he played against a really good defense." All silly things to criticize and silly things to say. Yeah, yeah, he played against a great defense. Why isn't Dak great? Why isn't Dak great? We need to stop making excuses for Dak Prescott. Dak is not a bad quarterback. I like Dak. He does things I like. I have not. And I've not said, I'm not saying right now, I'm not saying Dak Prescott is a bad quarterback. What I'm saying is, he's not elite. I would not pay him $34 million a year. I do not understand why that's so infuriating and so controversial to say. When you pay a quarterback $34 million a year, you can't make excuses for him. If you pay Dak Prescott $22 million, Make all the excuses you want. Fine. But if you make $34 million a year, too much money. That's too much money to pay Dak. If you make $34 million a year, you need to be able to win with limited teammates around you. You need to be able to overcome having teammates that aren't as good. Dak Prescott can't do that. Dak Prescott can't carry a team. Russell Wilson can win with less. Pay him $35 million a year. He can still win that way you pay Dak $34 million a year and he has kind of worse teammates, he ain't going to win a lot. Let me tell you now, it's, oof. Let's be honest about the Dallas Cowboys. They're four and three. They beat the Redskins, the Dolphins, the Giants, and the Eagles, who aren't far far behind those three teams. They're not great either. And Dak Prescott was not great. He was fine against the Saints. He was not, not that good at all against the Packers. Against the, t- the best teams they've played, they lost. Lost to the Saints, they lost to the Packers. Dak can't carry his team. And I, I know that's not really, quote, fair. But if you're going to pay a guy $34 million, an elite quarterback can win with less help. Dak Prescott can't win with less help. That's the point. I was not impressed when the Cowboys beat the Eagles. I wasn't. The Eagles aren't great. Their defense is terrible against the passing game. So that's where we are. That's the history of how we got here. That's the progression of my opinion on Dak Prescott. I like Dak. He does things I like. He's a great leader. He's a stable quarterback. He's very solid. All I'm saying is I would not give Dak Prescott a $34 million contract. He's not a lead. I'm not seeing it. I don't understand how that's so crazy and awful I shouldn't make me a hater. That's how we got here. That's my opinion. That's how I feel about Dak Prescott, and that's why I feel that way about Dak Prescott. He's beaten three average teams. He lost to the teams that were good, and in spite of he, he is better a little bit this year than last year. Dak Prescott is not an elite quarterback. You know what I should do? I'm going to Google something. I'm going to Google the definition of elite. Before we, I was going to end the topic, but what is uh, what when you Google elite? What is what comes up? Elite. The definition of elite is this. Oh no, that's that's a TV show. Elite definition is this: a select group that is superior in terms of ability or qualities to the rest of a group or society. Is Dak Prescott superior to everybody else in his in his group? Russell Wilson is. Russell Wilson is. Patrick Mahomes is. Aaron Rodgers is superior. He's elite. Dak Prescott's not superior in comparison to other quarterbacks in the NFL. He's good. He's fine. But Dak Prescott, a select group that is superior in terms of ability or qualities to the rest of a group or society. Dak Prescott's not an elite quarterback. All right. uh, Before I take a break, I want to do a topic I do every single episode. If you're struggling, please go get help. You may not may not know. Three years ago, my younger brother took his life. It was terrible. It's the worst thing I've ever been through. Heartbreaking. And I learned two really painful lessons through that experience. Number one is that my brother never shared his struggles. And so I ask you, if you're struggling, please go get help. My brother suffered in silence. One day I came home. He was dead on the floor. It was terrible, miserable. I hated it. Don't be like that. You know, I, I really ask you, if you're struggling, talk to somebody. Share your struggles. You go get help. The suicide hotline is 1 800 273 8255. 1 800 273 8255. If you're struggling, please go get help. And the second painful lesson I learned is that I didn't make it clear enough to my younger brother that I was there for him. So I ask you, if you're, be very clear to the people in your life. Tell them you love them. Tell them you're there for them. Make sure it's clear hey, if you're having a hard time, you can come talk to me. I didn't do a good enough job making it clear to my brother that I was there for him, that I I would talk to him. If he was struggling, that I was there for him, that I loved him, and I I wanted to help him. And so I encourage you, tell the people in your life you love them. Make it clear to them how much you care about them. Be very open about that. Don't be afraid to have hard conversations. If you're struggling, go get help. And make sure the people in your life know how much you love them. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll talk about Muhammad Sanu, We'll do a film analysis of Emmanuel Sanders. We'll talk about some random notes I have. We'll end the show with Ask Zach. Guys, that's all I have for right now. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. Oh right, we are back. Uh, if you're not aware, the Atlanta Falcons traded receiver Mohamed Sanu to the New England Patriots for a second round draft pick. Uh, first of all, I think this is a really good trade for the Falcons. I think it's good for both sides. Um the Falcons are one in six. They need to prepare for the future. This trade got them a solid draft pick for next year and it created salary cap space. The Falcons cleared 7.9 million dollars of cap space for next year. Uh, right now, they're on pace to be over the salary cap. so they're they're still in trouble. they need to, they need to do a lot of changes. That's even before they sign free agents and before they sign their draft picks for next year, they're they're really in trouble with their their salary cap. So there are more more moves coming ahead for the Falcons, but uh, I I like this move. I think it's good for them. You also have to consider that I think Mohamed Sanu is a lot more valuable to the Patriots than the Atlanta Falcons. The Atlanta Falcons have a bunch of receivers that they love. They have Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, they have Austin Hooper at tight end. They have this young emerging receiver named Russell Cage, a second-year receiver from LSU. So I think Mohamed Sanu is more valuable to the Patriots than he ever would have been to the Falcons. When I watch Mohamed Sanu's film, it's fine. Um, he's mostly caught a lot of checkdowns and passes over the middle. This year he had he has 33 catches for 313 yards. He's also 30 years old. Again, nothing really jumped off the screen to me. He's very solid, um, nothing extraordinary to me. And I think really his biggest play of the year is when week two he jumped on a fumble. He had a fumble recovery. Against the Eagles, which is a game the Falcons would go on to win their only win of the year, that's really the biggest play Mohamed Sanu's made all year is a fumble recovery at receiver. I watched every catch he had. I watched every target. I compiled every play that was notable with Mohamed Sanu. I compiled them and I sent them over to my buddy Nathan Hawthorne. If you don't know Nathan Hawthorne, he played receiver at Portland State, a Division One receiver. He's been one of my best friends for years. I love the guy. He's like family to me. Uh, we trained together growing up. He's the guy who, you know, Nathan Hawthorne called me out when I said that Amari Cooper was not a number one receiver. He said, Zach, you're stupid. He was right. I was wrong. He said DK Metcalf wasn't a first round pick. He was right about that. DK Metcalf was not drafted in the first round. He also said that when DK Metcalf went to the Seahawks, that was a great move and perfect for them. He was right about that as well. So he's at the Jag 32, at the Jag 32 on Instagram. He's awesome. He knows a lot more about receivers than I do. I sent the film over to him to get his opinion on Mohamed Sanu. These are Nate's notes. First of all, he said Mohamed Sanu is a possession receiver. What that means is that he's not a big downfield threat kind of guy. Not that he can't run deeper routes, but he lives for four to eight yard passes that move the chains. Five yard outs, 10 yard digs, then the occasional double move where he'll make a move and go vertically downfield. He's also really good at finding soft spots against zone coverage. He's a smart receiver. He understands how to adapt his routes depending on whether he's up against man coverage or zone coverage. One example is when he slowed down between two defenders and caught the ball instead of continuing to run and running into coverage. He also has excellent hands and he uses them well. He's great at extending his hands and using them to catch the ball, which what that does when you extend your hands a long way out is it creates more separation between you and the defender. He's hard to cover. He's scary to press because he's quick, but he's also got great size. He's six foot two, 215. He's a nightmare to match up with in the slot. So the Falcons lined him up inside often. Linebackers were too slow to cover him. And his size and route-running ability made it hard for safeties to cover him. His route-running ability is top-notch, and he does a lot of subtle technical things which help him get open. This is a direct quote from Nate. He says this. He says, he's an ideal New England receiver. He's in the slot, inside, outside, it doesn't matter. He's got the full kit. Is he Julio Jones? No. But Mohamed Sanu could probably be a number one receiver on 10 to 15 teams in the NFL. So I hear that analysis from Nate, and I think, man, the Patriots got a good one. I have no doubt that the Patriots are going to find a way to get more usage out of him than the Falcons, just because the the Patriots need him more. And they're really crafty. The Patriots are really good at using a player's ability and getting the most out of it. The Falcons had so many receivers. Like Julio Jones overshadowed Mohamed Sanu in Atlanta. And I'm excited to watch Mohamed Sanu in New England, where he's going to make a big impact. I really think he's going to help New England a lot. Now, another thing in Atlanta, the Falcons used a special package where they put Muhammad Sanu in at quarterback. They'd put him in at quarterback, they direct snap to him, kind of a wildcat situation. I'd be really surprised if New England did this. I do not think New England is going to do this kind of thing. I wouldn't put it past them. They're a creative team that might, but I, I don't see them taking Tom Brady off the field and putting in Muhammad Sanu at quarterback. Maybe a trick play, he can throw the ball really well, but there's no way that, they run this consistently. I just don't see that happening. You know, I do think that that package is an example, though, that Mohamed Sanu is good at running with the ball in his hands. They like him in space with the ball. I also, on film, only saw him drop one pass all season. That's pretty impressive. One more thing, though, on film you see this is that he's a good guy. His teammates like him. You see him celebrating with his teammates when they succeed. And week five, when a defender made a good play, hit him hard, Mohamed Sanu congratulated him, said, hey, good job. I think Mohamed Sanu not only fits into the Patriots on the field from an ability standpoint, he also is good for their locker room. He's the kind of guy who loves his teammates. It comes through on film, and he wants to win. He wants to succeed and do well. I think he's going to do that in New England, and I'm really excited to watch Mohamed Sanu with the Patriots. From one trade to another, the 49ers traded with the Broncos for wide receiver Emmanuel Sanders. The 49ers got a 2025th round pick and Emmanuel Sanders. And the Broncos got a 2023rd round pick and a 2024th round pick. Something happened in Denver. I'm not sure what happened. Uh, John Elway said that he's a general manager of the Broncos, said that the trade was good for the Broncos. Von Miller said about the trade, he said, you know, we want guys who want to be Broncos. So basically, what I hear when I say that, when I hear all that, is that I think. Emmanuel Sanders, and this is all speculation. I, I don't have any inside sources. I just have the quotes they've given. I think Emmanuel Sanders wanted out of Denver. He wanted to win games. He was unhappy. I don't blame him. He had Joe Flacco as his quarterback. I think any receiver would be kind of frustrated with Joe Flacco at quarterback. And um, I, I mean, look, when I watch film, I see a lot of opportunities where Joe Flacco just misses by a lot. It's probably really frustrating for his receivers when he's throwing the ball and it's nowhere near them. Look, Emmanuel Sanders is 32 years old. The prime of his career has come to an end, but he still has some good moments left in the tank. I mean, this year he has 367 yards receiving, 30 catches, two touchdowns. And uh, I sent the film over to my friend Nathan Hawthorne. Nathan Hawthorne, I've said it before, I'll say it again. He's a Division One receiver. He's like a brother to me. I love him. He's really good at analysis. And uh, I, I just, I love his analysis of receivers. I trust him. So these are Nate's notes on Emmanuel Sanders. Now, when the 49ers made this trade, a lot of people said it would hurt 49ers receiver Marquise Goodwin the most. Goodwin is their leading receiver. He has 181 yards and a touchdown this year. He's a speedy, deep threat. Now, unlike other people, Nate actually thinks that Goodwin and Emmanuel Sanders are a really good pair together. Goodwin can blow the top off and run deep, while Emmanuel Sanders can play the role of a veteran receiver who runs great routes and gets open. The two complement each other really well. Sanders is explosive and quick. Linebackers and safety struggle to guard him. And Emmanuel Sanders is also very self-aware. He's a smaller receiver, so he has to be patient at the line of scrimmage. That allows him to get really good releases and get open downfield. He runs really good, really smooth routes. He makes it difficult for defenders guarding him to know where he's running. He doesn't telegraph anything. He doesn't tip off where he's headed, what direction he's going. And he's really athletic. He can make some really big plays. He's got some great catches with really, really good hands. And he's a nightmare to cover one-on-one because he's fast and he's smart. From talking to Nate, Emmanuel Sanders, you know, is athletic, smart, fast. He's got good hands. I personally have no doubt that the 49ers are going to use Emmanuel Sanders really well. They're going to get the most out of his skill set. That's what Kyle Shanahan. The 49ers head coach does. This is a great trade for the 49ers. They had a number one receiver. It's good for Emmanuel Sanders. He's now on a good team. I think he'll be happier. He's with the 6-0 49ers. And the Broncos got rid of a guy that they had problems with. I think in hindsight, you know, looking back on this trade, I think that it's possible that the Broncos are... I don't think they'll regret it, honestly. I, I think they got rid of a good player. But it sounds like Emmanuel Sanders wasn't going to do anything positive for the Denver Broncos moving forward. I think it's good for everybody. Everybody wins here. Uh, it's a great trade. The, the Giants, uh, the 49ers won the trade. The San Francisco 49ers won this trade, but not by a lot. I, again, I think Emmanuel Sanders' use had worn out in Denver, but I think he's going to be a big time, big time impact player for the San Francisco 49ers moving forward the rest of this year. All right. Um, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll do a couple random notes. We'll do Ask Zach. I'll end the show with my favorite song, and uh, that'll be it. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. Oh, right we are back. Uh, Before we get into Ask Zach, this is a a, a segment where there are a bunch of topics and stuff that I want to talk about, but I don't have time to flesh it out, and it's been a crazy tough week moving, so this is a bunch of stuff, just weird collection of things I want to share, that are shorter and just, I just want to get them out of my head. Um, Number one is that the Patriots traded defensive end, Michael Bennett to the Dallas Cowboys for a seventh round draft pick. It's just weird to me. Uh, Bill Belichick coaches defensive linemen, which means that he would have been around Michael Bennett a lot. That's the Patriots head coach. Everyone knows Bill Belichick. And I know that a little while back, Bill Belichick or the Patriots, excuse me, punished Michael Bennett for some kind of thing. He mouthed off to a coach or something. Maybe this is some kind of recurring problem. But it's, it's just bizarre. I know that Michael Bennett's a big locker room guy. People love him. And uh, I, I, I'm sad to see him. I don't know. I don't know. It's just, it's just interesting and curious. I do know that if any team in culture can handle losing Michael Bennett, it's the Patriots. They're used to guys coming and going. It's the culture there. They have a very cold culture that cares about winning. And you know they love people, obviously. But I'm sure the players are, are actually unfazed by this. I know a lot of people are like, well, Michael Bennett. I don't know. But I am really curious to see what Michael Bennett brings to the Cowboys the rest of this year, if anything really interesting at all. The second thing I want to talk about is that the Lakers started off the season with a loss. And not just any loss. They lost to you know, the battle for L.A. The Lakers lost their first game to the L.A. Clippers and Kawhi Leonard. They lost 112-102. to 102. And uh, this is one of the storylines I was so excited to follow this year in the NBA. And uh, round one went to Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi won... Lakers zero, Lakers and LeBron zero. And what's weird is that, you know, Danny Green for the Lakers had 28 points and Anthony Davis for the Lakers had 25 points and LeBron had 18. LeBron was weird and weirdly subtle, not bad or anything, but just not the big, intense, imposing figure I wanted him to be. I really wanted it to be a battle between Kawhi and LeBron. And LeBron was just very subtle and weird to me. Now the World Series right now is uh, very bizarre. The Astros are down two to nothing, which shocks me. The Astros are such a good baseball team. Uh, game one was incredible. They lost to the Nationals five to four. It was a nail, it was just a nail biting game. Really fun all the way to the end. Uh, a great game. Now game two in the World Series was a horrible, horrible blowout. The Nationals killed the Astros twelve to three, and so I, I'm really surprised the Astros are losing. Game three is tonight. Um, I'm just, I don't, I look, you're not going to hear this before that game happens, but I just want to let you know, like, I am surprised that the Astros are down two to nothing in the series. I just can't believe it. The third thing I want to, third, fourth, I don't know what it is. The next thing I want to talk about is that Zion Williamson Taurus Meniscus is going to be out for the next six to eight weeks. Uh, remember he's the number one overall draft pick. And, uh, he's also, you know, we're seeing a trend potentially where Zion Williamson got hurt in high school. He got hurt in college. Now he's hurt again in the NBA. Could injuries be a nagging concern with Zion? Uh, I'd be very sad. You know, personally, I am hopeful for Zion Williamson's future. I really want him to be great. I want the Pelicans to be interesting and kind of resurge and be great. Um, Because I want Zion to provide me and everyone else with a ton of entertainment. I think he's a, a really enjoyable player to watch play basketball. And I hope that injuries are not a recurring theme throughout his career. Now, the Seahawks traded for Lions safety Quandre Diggs. Quandre Diggs said he was blindsided by the trade, and the Seahawks got Quandre Diggs and a seventh-round draft pick, while the Lions got a fifth-round draft pick. The Lions kind of just gave Quandre Diggs away to the Seahawks. This is an interesting cornerstone for the Lions franchise for this reason. The Lions general manager, Bob Quinn, Worked for the Patriots for 15 years. He's a longtime New England Patriots employee. He gets their culture, he gets their system. And he hired head coach Matt Patricia, who is the former defensive coordinator in New England. So, this trade, trading Quandre Diggs, was kind of a cold move. He's a, a well liked player that people enjoy in the locker room, he's popular. Trading Quandrid this Lions move is very, very cold. And I felt like something that the New England Patriots would do. So it's kind of an interesting cornerstone for the Lions because the question is, can they survive this? Are the the Lions going to say, screw management, we're done, we hate this, we're mad? Or will management say, no, we're changing the culture and be able to weather the storm until people buy in and listen to them and say, this is the new norm. We got, we're going to make cold moves. We're going to be kind of like the New England Patriots moving forward. I don't know, but I'm really curious to see what happens. What What's next for the Lions? Do they make more moves like this in the future? How long does Matt Patricia stay there? I think Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn are a good pairing together, but they're trying to do something similar to New England. They don't have the cachet. They don't have a Super Bowl to their name to be able to do that yet. Uh, right now, I think they're making people kind of angry in Detroit. But if they can win and prove that this is successful, it could work. There are also reports that the guy replacing Quandra Diggs uh, from you know, lower on the depth chart is someone that the people really like, that management really like in Detroit. So just interesting storylines. The Detroit Lions got rid of a guy that was popular, that people like, and he said he got blindsided. The last thing, the last little tidbit I want to talk about is that there are a couple big games this weekend in college football. Uh, At 9 a.m. Pacific time on Saturday, noon Eastern time, number 13 Wisconsin goes to Columbus, Ohio to play at number three Ohio State. It's going to be really fun. Can't wait to watch that. Number nine Auburn will play at number two LSU. Other than the Alabama game, this is another big test for Joe Burrow and the LSU offense. I think LSU wins this game by you know maybe a touchdown or two, maybe more than that. Joe Burrow is a great quarterback, and Auburn has a young rookie quarterback, young uh, freshman quarterback. I think LSU wins this game. The question is by how much. Number eight, Notre Dame goes to number 19, Michigan. Man, I, you know, Notre Dame can't afford to lose another game, and Michigan needs a win. Jim Harbaugh's going, oh man, he's going into the grave if he doesn't win this game. He's going to be really in a big spot. So, big game for both teams. Excited to see what happens. And then, number, I guess, unranked, unranked Arkansas. Is going at number one Alabama. Alabama should win this game. The only reason why it's on the list as a game I think is interesting is that M- Alabama quarterback Tua Tungavaloa is out for the game. I think I think the, the Bama should still win the game easily, even without their quarterback. But pay attention. Uh, how does Alabama play without their quarterback? If they still win by like 60, it just you know, I think it actually hurts Tua Tungavaloa's Heisman case where look. He's the best player on his team, but nobody even needs him. Alabama's roster is so good. Doesn't matter who plays quarterback for them, they dominate everybody. Okay, uh, it's time for Ask Zach. I apologize. Today's a little more sparse than normal. I just am, I'm short on time and I want to get this out. And the longer it is, the longer it'll take to upload. And just a whole bunch of stuff. I promise you, I will make up for it next week. It's going to be better. Ask Zach if you don't know is the segment I do at the end of every single podcast where people support me on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. It's a dollar a month. You can give me more if you want. helps pay the bills. Um, but if you pay a dollar a month, you get access to submit questions on patreon.com. I only accept questions on Patreon through DMs or you can comment on one of the posts. And I will not guarantee to discuss your question on the show if you send it in, but I will guarantee to look at all of them with my eyeballs. And I pick the top couple at the end of every show and read them on, read them on the air and talk about it. And I discuss and talk about them. The first question I want to read is from Patrick. Patrick says, hi Zach. As a Patrick Mahomes, as Patrick Mahomes is injured and out for a couple weeks, the chiefs have two options at quarterback right now. Matt Moore, a veteran who wasn't even in the NFL last year as a player, but worked as a scout for the dolphins and Kyle Shermer, an undrafted rookie out of Vanderbilt. So it's either Matt Moore or Kyle Shermer, old guy, Matt Moore, a young guy, Kyle Shermer, who's the, younger, who's the son of uh, the Giants head coach, Pat Shermer. If you were Coach Reed here, which one would you rather start until Mahomes comes back? The veteran or the rookie? You don't even have to answer it referring to the Chiefs. I just think they're a good situational example for the question in general. I also want to say thank you for reading this question on the show and always making us great content. Greetings, Patrick. Patrick, uh, it makes no sense to play Kyle Shermer. The Chiefs have a franchise quarterback. Matt Moore, the other guy, the backup, the veteran, Matt Moore, is established. He's won some games in the NFL before. He's had a little tiny bit of success. And if I'm if I'm the Chiefs, I don't care at all about developing a young quarterback, Kyle Shermer. I say, screw Kyle Shermer. We don't need him. We have Patrick Mahomes. Who cares? Uh, the Chiefs just need to win for like three weeks. And Matt Moore, I believe, gives the Chiefs the best opportunity to win games without Patrick Mahomes. So, yeah, I, I think that, I would go with Matt Moore here. It's a very easy decision for me. And if I'm the Chiefs, I try to run the ball really well. And here's the key to success with Matt Moore. Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs are really, really legendary for running great screen passes where it looks like a throw, and then the quarterback dumps off an easy little pass to the running back, and the running back runs for like 60 yards and a touchdown. Over and over and over again, because the Chiefs are so well-disciplined and good on the offensive line, And they rep this. Clearly, the Chiefs put a lot of effort and work into running these well. Screen passes for the Chiefs are very, very effective. If they can do that and have success that way with a quarterback, that's how they can get a lot of passing yards and make Matt Moore look really good and kind of hide his limitations by running the ball well and running good screen passes. I think Matt Moore is the guy that's who I would go with the next couple weeks while Patrick Mahomes is out. And uh, that's what I would do. Will writes in and says, I want to mix it up And not ask a sports-related question. Who do you think is the best leader in Game of Thrones? I know you're passionate about leadership, and I think Danny was the best leader. Very motivational, refused to lose, inspired, hope and love. What are your thoughts? Uh, I'm going to do my best to answer this question. Where if you know Game of Thrones, you understand what I'm talking about. But if you don't listen to, if you don't watch Game of Thrones, it doesn't matter. And if you are not caught up on Game of Thrones for some reason, I don't think I'm even going to spoil the show. I will a little bit, but that's the nature of this question. If you're not cut up, it's your fault. Uh, To me, the easy choice is Jon Snow. He's the best leader in Game of Thrones by far. Um, He does his own dirty work. He learned that early in the show uh, from his father. And he led by example, but he also said the right stuff. You know, Marcus Mariota leads by example, but he doesn't speak up enough. Jon Snow wasn't afraid to speak up, but he also led by example. Uh, and for a while, I will admit, in the last season of Game of Thrones, I was very, very unimpressed with Jon Snow. I was like, dude, it's right in front of you. Open your eyes. You're, you're letting Danny get crazy and doing the wrong thing. And at the end, of the end of the day, he was able to put his emotions aside and do the right thing. And here's why I think Jon, at the end of the show, is the best leader. Whether you like Game of Thrones or not, whether you even know what I'm talking about or not, Jon Snow took action when he needed to. If you watch the show, you know what I'm talking about. He was honorable. He was compassionate. Personally, he was my favorite character. But at the end of the show, when he had to do something hard and make a tough decision, he pulled the trigger and did what was right for the people around him. That's why Jon Snow is the best leader in Game of Thrones. Uh, The last thing I want to do is read read a story from Seb. Seb writes in and says, hey, Zach. After listening to SOS for about half a year now, I've decided to join the Patreon community and help contribute towards the creation of such an informative and entertaining podcast. I've been subscribed to you on YouTube since you had around 20k subscribers when you released your Dwayne Haskins film analysis before the draft. As a Jags fan, I'm quite glad we chose Minshew over Haskins now. I don't have a question this week, but instead wanted to tell you about how I chose the Jacksonville Jaguars as my NFL team since you said on the latest episode that you would start including these stories in future episodes. So in summer 2014, my family and I went on holiday to Orlando, Florida for an amazing two weeks after my exams, and it was my first time visiting the USA. I'm from the UK. It was my first time visiting America. We went to Disneyland and Universal Studios and all that fun stuff, but before going, my one goal was to visit and go to an NFL game. As we were going in August, I knew it would be and as we were going in august i knew it would have to be a preseason game but that was fine and before i knew but that was fine and i knew my three options would be to go to the jaguars buccaneers and dolphins miami was a little too far of a drive from orlando and the tampa bay home game was on my sister's birthday so we did family stuff that night instead so i knew that jacksonville was my only chance to see an nfl game live after hours and hours of begging my dad he reluctantly agreed to drive my sister's boyfriend and I four hours up the state to go see the Jags host the Bucks in week one of the 2014 preseason. We arrived late due to traffic, but once we entered Everbank Field, it was like nothing I've ever experienced in the UK before. The game day atmosphere was something special, and I instantly felt part of the Jaguars family. Luckily for me, I got to see our brand new rookie Blake Bortles compete complete seven for 11 passes for 117 yards before struggling the rest of his entire Jaguars career. And we saw our team secure a 16-10 to 10 win over the Bucks. As I left the stadium at the end of the game, I knew that Jacksonville was a team for me, and I've been supporting them ever since. So that's the story of how I became a Jaguars fan. He went to a preseason game and saw Blake Bortles. Man, uh, Seb, I hope you get to a, a regular season game someday. I, I've... I've never been to a preseason game. I know the atmosphere is not even comparable to a regular season game. If you liked that, I hope you someday get to see like a really intense, great game. Uh, dude, thank you for writing in. He He's finished the question by saying, also, can I just say that the section of SOS called, if you're struggling, please go get help, really means a lot to me. In 2015, I went through a really... I went through and eventually beat Anorexia, and I've struggled with... <laughs> he said, I'm really struggling to read the, I'm really... My voice is dead. I'm having a hard time. Me, Zach Shalmer, personally, is having a hard time just today talking. I'm very tired, and I started the week. I was sick, and I moved all week. I'm dead. But he, this is really meaningful. I want to read it. He says, in 2015, I went through and eventually beat anorexia, and I've suffered with depression ever since. So spreading this positive message means everything. Your brother would be so proud of you, Zach. Hope you read this with your eyeballs and include it on the show at some point. Sorry it was so long. All the best from Seb in the UK. Seb, thank you so much for your question. And not even your, it's not a question. It's for your story. I love that. You went to a, you begged your dad. You knew you were going to Florida. It was like, it's either the Dolphins, the Buccaneers, or the Jaguars. I want to see an NFL game. It's going to have to be in the preseason. You went to the Jaguars preseason game. You had a great time. You're now a Jaguars fan. That's so cool to me. And I hope you go to a Jaguars regular season game someday. That'd be awesome. Man, thank you so very much for uh, listening to the show, Seb. I appreciate you more than you know. Guys, my name is Zach Shomler. That's all I have for today. Uh, I am going to... I'm going to pass out. I'm, I'm so tired and my throat hurts. and oh, It's been a long week. I, maybe This episode might sound better than I expect. I, I have no idea how it sounds or whatever. Um, I know that next week things will be better. Please raise your expectations next week. But for now, I'm going to play my favorite song. It's a song that always pumps me up. This is Almost Blonde and their single... Wasted time. Have a great day. Thank you for listening and take care. Follow his dreams. A young man, take his feet as I jump on the deep. So you can learn from my mistakes and cut the weight from your feet. I was once like you and you'll be just like me. Don't mistake me for somebody that you shouldn't believe. Do you remember the person that you aspired to be? Will he packed up his bags anybody he's ready to leave. He's on the brink. It's time to think of what you want to achieve. Cause there's a different path for the life you need. If it was easy, everybody would have followed you leaving respect until you start to succeed The people still are gonna catch you just to watch you bleed Take it from the old man who used to walk in your feet Well, throw your soul into your hole you've dug inside Well, waste your days for you to say that you've on wasted time